Greetings, everyone. This is Hear Her Sports, the podcast of long-form, intimate profiles of female athletes breaking boundaries, speaking up, and living with power and confidence. I am your host, Elizabeth Emery. Thank you for tuning in during this alarming time as the U.S. deals with the impact of a mob of white supremacists and domestic terrorists in the Capitol. I'm sad that it's gotten to this point. I'm sad that we let this happen. I'm sad with the state of the Republican Party. As a small gesture to one of the many sports groups speaking up during this time and before, I want to send a huge thank you to the WNBA and their amazing athletes for all the work they did leading up to the Georgia elections, something that gave me a jolt of great hope. To move on, before we get going with today's episode, I highly suggest checking out the women-produced and hosted sports podcast, The Gist of It, by Ellen Hislop and Stephanie Rocks. Listening each week to the funny, energetic hosts allows me to stay up to date on what's going on in sports with topics such as sexism in the NHL, a quick guide to the NFL playoffs, and interviews with the pros on motherhood. The gist of it truly covers it all, and they interpret the goings-on, which I totally appreciate. I feel like we have lots in common, so it's a terrific compliment to the athlete profiles we do here. So listen and subscribe to The Gist of It in all the usual places, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Stitcher. Now let's get on to our show with today's guest, beach volleyball player Brandi Wilkerson. I loved our conversation about competing, where she thrives, pushing past difficulty, training in Brazil to make the Tokyo Olympic team, music, and art. Here we go. Today, I'm lucky to be talking to Canadian beach volleyball player Brandi Wilkerson. She was an alternate for the 2016 Rio Olympics. In November 2018, with her teammate Heather Bainsley, she achieved a career-high world ranking of number one. She is a 2018 FIVB Best Blocker. Before COVID shut everything down, she and Heather were well on their way to making the Olympic team. Brandy was born in Switzerland and moved to Canada when she was seven. Her father played pro basketball, and her mother is an endurance athlete, so she has incredible genes. Welcome, Brandy. Good to have you thank here. You. Well, thank you so much. I'm very excited to be talking with you. Great. You know, I want to start out just by finding out where you are right now. And I mean that in terms of physical location, but also where are you in your training? What's going on with competition and Olympic selections? That kind of stuff. Yes, yes. That is a good question. I feel like it's been like a week to week question I've had to ask myself. So, Right now, I'm in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. My boyfriend lives down here, and I just finished up a two-month training camp in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. So now we're doing a little bit of like time off Christmas break, so we're spending it down here together before I have to go back to training. So that's where I am physically, and I think mentally it's kind of on the same page. Very excited that Heather and I were able to meet with our coaches, train safely, have a really great momentum building for what we aspire is a season or the Olympic Games next year and kind of set the tone there and keep focus for that, even with the uncertainty. But now I'm just happy to kind of relax and try and enjoy the holidays and time with uh, loved ones and and stuff like that. Nice. How was it in Rio? I mean, how did your training going? What was it like to be back with everybody? Yeah. So the first time we started working with our training group there, so our coach and the assistant coaches was in March. And so we got there for two weeks before the COVID outbreak kind of started. And we had to go back to Canada, quarantine, kind of everything changed after that point. So going from March, one mindset 
pre-COVID to now coming back, wearing masks to and from practice and working out and uh, the distancing and kind of everything changing was definitely dark at the beginning. But we're very happy that, you know, that they were taking it seriously and that we were all trying to be as safe as possible. And then it was also nice to kind of just like see the people that are just as focused and dedicated to this goal of ours and work so hard to get there and kind of get into a routine, which I think a lot of people have lost, especially athletes with so many restrictions and things being canceled. So it felt like a little piece of normalcy that I think we both needed and kind of happy to end the year with. What were you doing over those two months? So we were training every day, uh, about six times a week on the sand, and then about three or four times a week in the gym, lots of recovery. We had physio, we had some testing done. We had a little, you know, our little moments in the weekends we get to enjoy. Rio, it's so, so beautiful there. People are so amazing. The food is awesome. But for the most part, it was dedicated to training. (laughs) What role does strength training taken your training sort of big picture and I don't know if it's different now because a lot of gyms are closed but Mm -hmm. you know in general what's your take on the strength training yeah I think our strength training is absolutely crucial to what we're doing because it's such a demanding sport in terms of the amount of physical things you have to do in the sand and then adding on top all of the technical aspects so the strength training allows us to have that endurance and that strength to keep producing the same results over and over again Um, for that long period of time that we need to. And right now we're kind of trying to build a little bit as much as possible. But like you said, with all the gyms being closed and the limitations, a lot of us working out at home, it's been a lot of just maintaining. Our coaches have done an excellent job just communicating and being as adaptable and flexible as possible. So right now we're trying to just keep in shape and make sure that we stay safe, rehab our injury, take some breaks if we need to. That's kind of been the blessing, I think, for a lot of these athletes. I know for my partner and I, where you don't get the time to kind of take a break and let your body heal because things are always going on. So now we had that moment. So now we're ready to build and keep going. Cool. Yeah. What do you guys do when you're not together or are you mostly together training? (laughs) It's different now, of course, but normally. Normally, she is absolutely the person I see the most in my entire life. (laughs) We do everything together. We were living in an apartment together. We would go to practice together, train together. We did a lot of our meals together. So we do spend an incredible amount of time together. Yeah. (laughs) I had no idea. I would have thought, I don't know. That's a lot of time with the same person. (laughs) It is. It is. Thank goodness we get along really well and we like the same things and we're pretty chill and we're really good about giving each other space, but it has been fun. It's been nice. (laughs) How much are you seeing her now and what are your plans sort of going forward? So we had the two months where we spent like every minute together. And now I'm going to have a month away. And so we won't see each other at all because she's in Toronto with her family and I'm here in the States with my boyfriend. So uh, we'll reunite in Brazil again when we go back to train in January. Hoping everything is good. Yes. But yeah, we'll go back to, to get back to work. How come Brazil? That's where our coach is from. Got it. Yeah, and we have uh, assistant coaches down there, too, and just, like, an excellent system. They have a really great environment down there. And it's warm. And it's warm. That's <laughs> crucial. It's a little hard to do beach volleyball in Toronto in December. <laughs> right. right. Wow. <laughs> so do you have any sense of 
a competition schedule for 2021? Honestly, no. <laughs> a lot of us are aspiring. We're making things up. We're manifesting this, like, but there's actually no physical schedule yet. We do have an exhibition tournament, which is super small. And like I said, exhibition. So it's just kind of made up that we're putting together with some of the Brazilian teams that are also training. So that's kind of the only competition we have or taste of it after that. Uh, yeah, we'll see. <laughs> yeah. And you said you had a coach. Is is he sort of figuring out everything for you or do you guys do some of it on your own? Like what, what role does he play? Yeah, I think beach volleyball is very interesting because the athletes, especially in Canada, do take a lot of the ownership in terms of organizing, planning, hiring, and making up their team and schedule. So Heather and I do a lot of the planning, but our coach has been fantastic in helping us kind of having a place to live and train and setting up our schedule uh, in terms of what our practices are and then what we're doing at practices, what they're building up to. He's also in contact with our strength trainer, with our psychologist, and kind of making sure everyone's on the same page and we're all evolving at the same time. So he kind of is that middleman piecing all the, the pieces together. Do you and Heather have all of the same coaches? Yes. Yeah. We, we, we go as a pair. (laughs) 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 So you talked about being in Brazil and pre pandemic, it's always weird talking to athletes right now because you know, they're sort of pre pandemic training and posts, but pre pandemic, what was your schedule like? And you know, you certainly traveled a lot. You lived abroad. You know, what was that lifestyle like? And what is it like now going to Brazil so often between now and I suppose the Olympics? It is very interesting. I think for us going from country to country week to week was absolutely normal. Like we didn't think anything about it. And then if we had like a couple days in between, we're like, oh, maybe we can sneak back to Canada sleep in my own bed for two nights, do some laundry, and then head back over to Europe or whatever, and just not think of it. Um, And now it's like, okay, um, if we want to go back to Canada, you got to add two weeks of quarantining. Is going to Canada the best thing? Because two weeks away from your training, just being home alone, that's a lot. That's a big chunk when you're really trying to prepare and be in the best shape of your four-year quad training for the Olympic Games. So now it's become like, okay, we're going to Brazil. It's going to have to be for months at a time. Or if we go to one country, we come back. Like, So we won't be seeing our home very often. Or it's all going to be very dependent on what the quarantining rules are or where we can build hubs and bubbles where we can all train safely. But that does mean staying for extremely long periods of time so that we're not moving around too much. So it's definitely going to be different. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Do you like traveling around so much and living in different places? I mean, is that fun? It is. I I do love traveling around. My friends joke about that I live this like gypsy lifestyle because I'm always everywhere. I'm also, I think, from everywhere. I have a mixed background. I'm born in a different country. My family's all over the world. Like, that whole movement is very normal for me. So I never have felt like attached deeply to anywhere. So traveling is is something I'm familiar with. (laughs) That's cool. Do you feel like you're good at exploring new places? Like, I mean, you must be at a point where you get to someplace and you're not nervous about going out or, you know, do you have any hints maybe? Yeah, yeah. There. Well, especially with the tour that we play on, there's a lot of familiar stops. 
So they kind of become things that like we're, we're like looking forward to going to that same restaurant or like I I'm super girly like I will get my nails done all over the world like all these stuff like that. <laughs> So I do love traveling, exploring. I always joke with my friends, like, unless you've used their public transit system, you haven't really been in that country. So we, we try and get out as much as we can. But for the most part, we're there to play and train. So we'll sneak in like random moments. Sure. <laughs> I don't know what that'll look like now, but. <laughs> right. And how do you maintain relationships with the people that are at home? Yeah, I mean, I give so much credit to my friends and family. They understand that I can't be around that much. And part of me is a little bit sad, for sure. I have three younger siblings that I love so much. I pretty much like just play to be their role model. And I do, of course, want to spend as much time as I can with them. But they're just so proud of what I'm doing. And uh, my parents, my boyfriends, my best friends, like they're all so supportive that I can kind of feel connected to them. And thank goodness with technology, we can still see each other, even not being in the same time zone. So we do our best, but it is work. I love talking about competition because everybody sort of has a different relationship with competing and versus training, yeah. you know, and the pandemic especially has given us sort of this window into how much we like competition because we don't have it or we haven't been having it. So what have you learned during this time? And, you know, what's your relationship to competition? What do you think about it? Oh, I have learned a lot. I will tell you that right now. I was one of those athletes that hated practice, like just wanted to compete only, <laughs> like just get me to the game. I'm so excited about this. So growing up from that, I did a lot of work, obviously, but this pandemic has really made me appreciate the work that practice gives and taking the time to work on the details and, and, you know, all of these things that aren't externally motivated when you're in competition and there isn't that high pressure and you really have to push yourself internally to do these things because you want to, and because it is good and it's going to build towards something and to be extremely patient. So I have learned that definitely in 2020. <laughs> What did you like about competition? And again, I'm sort of, I'm always curious yeah. about people who really like the competition because there are definitely people who don't. Right? Um, I, I've always been a high pressure person. I love the higher the pressure, the higher the risk. Like, I think I just really focus in, the adrenaline starts going. It's where I feel the most confident. I feel the most comfortable, the most under control when things are like, you need to get it done. So I love that rush and I look forward to those moments. <laughs> do you feel like you learned how to do that? Or like for people who maybe don't like that aspect mm -hmm. of it, any thoughts about how to sort of switch mentality about it? <laughs> I think I've always naturally been geared towards that more. And I have thought about why it is like that. And I think so far I've come with I've been really lucky to have a mother that has taught me a lot about life and a lot about challenges and a lot about uncomfortable situations or hard times and to really embrace those moments and to really change the perspective when things go wrong or when things are tough. So I've learned to embrace difficult times and see the good in it or see how I can benefit from it. And I think when it comes to high pressure situations, I almost try and see it in that same way where it's like, this is something I can grow from and it is really going to show the best parts of me rather than push me into, and then if it does, if it beats me and I take it, then it's like, there's room for improvement. And how exciting is that to like 
continue to grow in another area that you thought was done, you know? It's a combination of like really embracing challenges and always wanting to be a student of the game. Yeah. I love that. Do you <laughs> do you remember your like what happens in terms of self-talk when you're having a rough moment? Like what sort of switches you out of that or gets you through it? Um it feels like it's been ages since I've played. But <laughs> I think I think for the most part, I'm trying to have kind of automatic responses. And that's where practice has really come in handy, where if there's a certain cue that I can go to when there are certain things that aggravate me, and that comes with a lot of self-awareness, like, uh, what is it that's making me react like this? Like, what is it deeply triggering? And what's the thing I can start practicing to tell myself that when it's high pressure and I don't have the time to put in the work, I can just immediately do this action, whether it's a physical cue, whether it's like a word I say, whether it's like a certain breath work, I have something, a tool that will help me get out of it without having to think too much. So it's just, I think comes with a lot of self-awareness and really discovering what it is that works for you. Yeah, I think that's so interesting because in training, you know, you find out where you're going to have a rough moment. And then even just knowing that it's going to be there is helpful. Exactly. Yeah. And it's it's like, it's okay to have those moments. I think it's also just accepting like, you know, like this does bother you or this is hard or this is uncomfortable and that's okay. But I got this tool and I'm bigger than this and I've proven myself before and I'll prove it again, you know? Yeah. Having a little confidence. (laughs) You mentioned your mom. I mean, you had two very athletic parents when you were growing up. You know, what role did sports play in the house? Oh, it was, it's definitely not what people would have thought. Like my dad obviously played professional basketball. Um, They separated when I was young. So I mostly grew up with my mom and she was an athlete as well and did like three Ironmans. She's crazy. Um, (laughs) They very interestingly, never wanted us to play sports really (laughs) they were like get an education get your schooling done because I think they hadn't done that they cared so much about making sure you had a degree make sure you had a stable job just with how sports is but I think after just realizing that we are naturally talented and we're really like enjoying the sports and there was some real opportunity there they were a thousand percent on board now she's like literally my biggest fan she will tell anyone about me so it's been really great to have her on my side and and keep me grounded too so right well you do have big goals you're wanting to make the olympic team tell me about that like how did that come about and why did you decide to go for it in beach volleyball i mean you played quite a number of sports when you were a kid Beach volleyball was kind of just one of those sports that I felt really had the most accountability because of how much it kind of puts you in this pressure position. Like I said, I love the challenge. I think it's an interesting game where really it comes down to the team trying to find your weaknesses and exploiting them. So it's a mean, it's kind of a mean game, but it's good to kind of overcome that. And it was addictive to travel to have the lifestyle to have really great people who play this sport and after my first time representing Canada I felt like wow this is something really great that I can do and this feels like home for me this feels like I'm Canadian and I can you know represent this and I can be good at this and I can you know change the style of game because I I do play a little bit differently I come from a different background I started later and just kind of like it grew into like, this is a real opportunity for women in this sport 
to be really great because I think people enjoy watching it. So I think the first time I watched the Olympic Games was the 2012 London Games. And then that's the first time I had heard of beach volleyball, really, and decided to play. I made the national team. And that escalated to, like you mentioned, being an alternate for the 2016 Games, which I was like, this is crazy. I can't believe I'm here. And once I was there, I was like, I absolutely have to be the next person on this stage. So worked really hard, switched partners, and it's been really great since then. So now 2021 is the goal. You mentioned, Heather, again, uh, switching partners. How does that happen? Like, how did you pick each other or how does that work? Yeah, uh, every country is a little different, but Canada pretty much leaves it to the athletes to do. So if I want to play with someone else, I have to approach them. They can decide whether they want to play with me or not. And it's funny. There's a lot of like relationship type conversations. Like, do you want to commit? Do you want to not? Are you playing <laughs> with someone else? Did they break up? Did they like, so it's a little tricky. It's always a little awkward, but um, you ideally try and find the best person at their position and play with that person, whether it's for points whether it's because long-term, whatever the strategy is, you kind of have to make that up yourself and go after it. You guys are committed to one another through the Olympics. Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah. I've been having a conversation with a friend of mine about the appeal of the Olympics. And, you know, why would someone go through all the trouble to try to be the best at something. Mm -hmm. And obviously this is coming from two people who care deeply about sports and are interested yeah. in it, but it is an interesting question. You know, like how much energy we all put into all this. And I mean, you have a lot of hard work ahead. I honestly ask that question all the time too. Like what is, what is it? Because I, I ask it in a funny way, but I also, because there needs to be something deeper that drives you to do this every day, you know? And, and if it's for, for fame and stuff, we all know, like, relative, to, like, really, of course, everyone's going to appreciate the Olympics, but this isn't going to make you the most famous person in the entire world. So it's got to be for something deeper. And for me, it had always been about achieving a goal. And I think everyone can relate to the satisfaction you get when you set a goal for yourself and you make it there. And so that has been a goal. And I have raised the bar every single time. And this just seems to be the top bar. And maybe after that point, I'll find another way to raise it. But right now, I'm just really excited to try and get this one done. Yeah. I read some quote, or maybe I heard it on a podcast where you were saying that, you know, you had this little goal ahead of you and another little one and a little one, and then suddenly your goal is the Olympics. I think that's so fascinating. Yes, that's, that's pretty much exactly how it happened for me. I just like looked up and was like, wow, my next goal is the Olympics. This is amazing. How did I get here? <laughs> It's interesting because often you hear sort of self-help type people talking about, you know, just take the next step. You're an embodiment of that, I guess. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> One of your sponsors is Clean Athlete, which I think is a pretty new sponsor for you. So nutrition must be important. Absolutely. Yes. Clean Athlete has been awesome. They have great supplements. And yeah, that's, that's definitely something we focus a lot on. Do you focus on certain aspects or do you have a philosophy about nutrition? I have my own personal philosophies. I think we all do it differently. Like Heather and I and most of the national team, we're not on any strict diets. And that's what people ask us 
all the time. Like, can you not have this? Can you not eat bread? Can you, all of these things. And you know what, that worked for some people. Absolutely. For me personally, I like to just really be mindful about what I'm eating, whether it's like literally thinking about what I'm eating and just being very satisfied with the quality of what I'm eating and just like what that means. And that helps me just kind of regulate and be gravitate to healthier foods, foods that make me happy. I'm very interested about that relationship and the relationship it has with my body, especially with beach volleyball. The only equipment we have is our bodies. So I want to take care of that. And I want to take care of my gut. I want to take care of my brain. I want to be focused. I want to be sharp. I want to be strong. And obviously that comes from food, where that food comes from, how it's grown and what it's doing for you. So it is fun to think about. It doesn't feel like a chore. And once it becomes kind of a lifestyle choice, you're not dieting, you're not restricting, you're not doing anything. So it kind of makes it easier to do it every day. Have you discovered foods that end up serving you well or serving your body well and some that don't? Um, I do a little bit. I've been vegetarian for the last four years. That's something that I just did because of environmental reasons. But I also find that obviously having good healthy foods and fats and like beet juice in the morning and like little things like that, that I enjoy help. (laughs) I think that's my only like little tip I would throw. (laughs) Yeah. You mentioned you were vegetarian. How did that start? It's something I always wanted to do. I'm very interested in sustainability and environmentalism and any of those topics, especially with food, because of how much we all love it and just the social and cultural aspects of it. But I thought it would be too difficult as an athlete and traveling. So it started by little, like just not eating too much meat. And then it went to like, let me see if I can just go all out. So I did. I loved it. But it is a lot of work. And then the more I traveled, I realized, okay, I gotta really put in a little extra work. I'm traveling with a can opener so I can buy beans on the road and throw it into everything that I'm eating, you know, like little things like that and bringing snacks everywhere. But it was worth it for me because of what I believe the value of the future of our world and our earth and everything. So Uh, Now I'm finding my balance still and and still try and encourage people to be mindful about what they eat. That's so impressive, particularly as an athlete. I mean, do you ever have moments where you think, oh, man, I really need a steak? (laughs) I'm not a steak eater, by the way. (laughs) No, you know what? I don't like miss meat, but the convenience is tough for sure, you know? And I am dabbling a little bit with like, maybe trying to incorporate more meat just to see what it would do for my body as an athlete. And I'm just curious and just finding good quality, local, you know, sustainably raised meat and see, and I've always believed that's the way to go. I just wanted to go without it for a while. So I, I'm, I'm mixing it up and I'm constantly just curious about what I eat and try and not make it too monotonous. <laughs> right, right. I mean, there's yeah. definitely a huge difference between factory raised beef yeah. and any animals and what you were talking about. Exactly, exactly, yeah. <laughs> Hopefully it'll be the future for everyone. <laughs> that would be nice. In the short break, I am thrilled to announce that we've launched a Patreon to support the podcast as we move into 2021, our fifth year. Wow, that's hard to believe. Join our Patreon, you will get access to exclusive content, hand-printed, frameable quotes said by guests on episodes, an opportunity to ask guests follow-up questions along with our absolute gratitude and some other perks. There are several levels of support to sign up for. Join at patreon.com slash hearhersports or link from the Patreon page on our website, 
hearhersports.com. I thank you so much for listening and appreciate all and any level of Patreon support you choose. Well, we were talking about body. One of the things that's obvious about beach volleyball is that it's very body forward. Has that always been easy for you to get out there in the sand with a bikini on? Yeah, basically just a bikini. Yeah. I would be lying if I said that was super easy. <laughs> it was It was not. It was not at the beginning, but not in a way where it was intimidated and I hated and resented the sport for it. I think it was just really made me realize where my self-esteem, where my self-confidence, where my self-love for my body was at, you know, and, and it has nothing to do with what I was wearing. It had everything to do with how I perceived myself. So I had to grow in those areas and everyone's body in beach volleyball is so incredibly different. It's not like, of course, you're like, oh, you're tall, you play sports. But I think beach has shorter athletes like my partner, Heather taller ones, all sorts of shapes and figures, and they're all so beautiful and doing such amazing work that I think it's just become a very beautiful way to show off like what this body can do, what a woman's body can do. So I try and always shed the light in that way and to be comfortable in that, you know, sensuality, that femininity, as well as being a strong athlete. So that's kind of where I've grown towards and hopefully trying to portray. (laughs) It feels like, I mean, just looking, it feels like a lot of exposure. But then when I think about it, maybe it's, as you mentioned, it's not just physical exposure. It's in a bigger way. Absolutely. And it's also very practical. Like we are in the sun, in, in the sand, like sweating. It's hot. I wouldn't literally for practical reasons, not want to be absolutely covered up, you know, like you're at the beach, that's what you wear. Um, (laughs) There is that side of it too. (laughs) You mentioned that Heather is shorter. What's her height? She's about um, five, seven, I think, which is very small. And I'm, I'm also undersized for my position. So we're both on the smaller side, but we play big. (laughs) Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. So as we mentioned a little bit that this has been a difficult time and the pandemic and everything else going on in this sort of pretty effed up 2020, <laughs> uh, how have you been maintaining some sort of calm or normalcy during mm-hmm. this time? Oh, man. Um, I've just been trying to... Honestly, I have to give it to my support system. I've leaned and reached out to a lot of people. I've tried not to kind of like suffer alone or silently, even while we have to socially and physically distance from each other. I think there's always ways we can find to connect. So I try to do that to my best of my abilities and just kind of like get in touch with some of the things that I love outside of sport and the things that make me me and the things that are interesting me and whether that's like, I love to paint and I love to listen to music. I love to read and learn new things and, and all of these things. So I try and, uh, and do those things that I didn't have time to do before. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. Have you experienced any positives from 2020? Um, yeah, absolutely. I think there's been a lot of like self growth. My boyfriend and I have been much closer than able to spend so much more time together. i you know, got to see my family a ton. I got to be in Brazil for two months and all these things. So I I will always remember that bit for sure. (laughs) And have you been able to 
recover from injuries. You sort of intimated this earlier that, you know, it was a time to sort of go back and look at what you needed to work on. What have you been doing? Yeah, I kind of like every athlete has some kind of chronic injury that we kind of play through or just kind of maintain. And that's something that I, um, for me, it was like the only way it was going to heal is if I wasn't in the sand barefoot. So I was like, well, that's going to be tough. Um, But so now I've been able to do that and get much stronger and, and much more rested. So that's been great. So we're talking mid December 2020. What are you looking forward to? What do you have planning for 2021? You know, obviously the Olympics, hopefully. I mean, I think I have learned so much about myself and I've learned so much about what beach volleyball means to me and how these goals, what, why I'm doing this, you know, like even in the midst of all of this and been faced with a lot of challenges that I think I have grown from that I'm just excited to now use you know use as a tool and and get back on that court with a totally new perspective of who I am as a player what our team has done we've done this training camp I've had so much time with my friends and family I feel so supported so now it kind of feels like whatever 2021 gives me I'm ready for it so I just want to see like how it all comes together (laughs) so I'm excited to go back to Brazil and train and I'm excited to have the Olympics happen. I'm going to put it out there. That's going to happen. It's going to be great. I don't know what it'll look like, but you know, I'm ready for it. (laughs) And you're in the States and we're still in sort of, um, I don't know, in the midst of the election results Mm -hmm. and, you know, certainly the changing social dynamics here and the Black Lives Matter movement. What are your thoughts? I know that you've been involved in that. Yeah. The Black Lives Matter movement definitely struck deep for me, obviously being biracial, obviously my whole family being Black American and having some instances happen historically within my family and just the conversations that my family was able to have with one another because of, you know, all of the conversations that are being brought up. And it's really made me grateful for who I am and what I can represent and the platform that I can give. And, and I think that's what it is for me. It's always been about representation. It's always been about, you know, speaking to those that might relate to me that aren't always being spoken to, especially in the BIPOC community. So that just gave me another reason and more fuel for me to show success from an interracial athlete. So it's been really, really hard to see some of those things and see some of the darkness that is here. But I think within it all, what's different is the amount of awareness that's starting to grow. And that's beautiful. And I hope that that's a momentum that keeps going and is then also taught generationally, you know, like that there will be a huge shift that happens from such a crazy year this year has been for the good, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You mentioned that you're a model, I suppose, a role model for young girls. How do they connect with you? And what are some stories maybe? Like you had said, there's a lot of girls that maybe didn't start as young or maybe aren't as tall or maybe don't have the resources. I grew up in a very poor neighborhood and I had a lot of great people look out for me and give me those opportunities that I try to take the advantage of. So I understand when things don't always come together so easily for you, like how do you still come out of that? So I hope to speak to those girls 
or boys or whoever that just needs a little bit of reassurance that like, if you can keep putting your head down and taking those risks and be bold and be confident in yourself and be your number one fan, that those opportunities will come and you will be ready for that. So that's kind of it. And, and also, you know, being biracial, it's a very obvious, you know, like this girl looks different from other people. So I love that. I love people that are different. I love it. It's weird, alternative, anyway. I have tattoos on my hands all over the place. Like, I love that stuff. So I, I want more alternative looks out there. <laughs> it's awesome. You know, it's always interesting to me because so many of the women that I speak to for the podcast do make such a huge effort almost as if it's a second job to talk to the younger generations. And, mm -hmm. you know, here you are doing similar work. I think it's great. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, I see it. I have three younger siblings. They, they're the future. Like, these are the people I care about. They're the ones that are going to change and shape this world into what we all hope and want it to be. So and I know they can. You know, yeah. So it'll be great. I actually find hope mostly in the younger people in yes. terms of everything we've been talking about. Absolutely. That's so well said. That's exactly it. Yep. And finally, I want to ask you about your little bio on Twitter. You said you're a music junkie and an art buff and a tree hugger. <laughs> Tell, me. <Yes>. <laughs> Tell me more. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. I feel like I kind of alluded to some of these things, but um, uh, yeah, I went to art school in high school for visual arts. I thought I was going to be an artist my whole life. I was always into the arts more than sports. And honestly, it was the arts that brought me to sports. I didn't have like very great sport opportunities in my schools before. And then in high school, I had to try out and go to this nice school and they had a volleyball. And that's where one of the coaches, you know, was like, you need to be doing this all the time. Um, so uh, <laughs> it was great. It was funny how art had took me there and, and I actually battled within myself I was like but I really want to pursue like art history I want to teach it or I want to be in advertising I want to do creative work and then it was like or sports <laughs> so um I was like you know what I'm young I'm physically capable I can do this right now in this part of my life I will always have art later in my life so that's kind of like the compromise I've made with myself so but I'm still always interested I will talk about art history with anyone at any time I go to museums in every country that I'm in all the time definitely brings me joy I'll bring like a sketchbook on the road with me <laughs> and then music I'm like one of those people that like buys vinyl still and listens to them <laughs> so yeah I try and you know feed into that part of me because I think it helps me be a better athlete too you know having different sides sure okay I have a couple questions based on that yes. <laughs> um, what are you listening to now oh right now Right now, nothing crazy. I've gone back to R&B, but from like the 90s and 2000s. So that's kind of like where I've been. But my vinyl, the last vinyl I bought was a Sam Cooke one that I'm very excited about. I love Sam Cooke. I love Motown's like 50s, 60s always. Yeah, I don't know. That's the last one I bought, I guess. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Art-wise, like, is that what you see yourself doing after the Olympics? I'm not really sure. I I can always see myself using it as a tool to be creative and to maybe build a brand or build an image or, or some kind of culture behind a message. But I don't know. I thought advertising was the way I wanted to go. I took advertising in university, but then I realized I didn't really want to buy into more consumer culture. So I was like, right. maybe I can find this tool to spread a better message. So we'll see. I hope so. I hope I use it. 
If not, I'll just set up a little studio at home and paint. Like I think that's for personal reasons. Yeah. <laughs> are you able to think past the Olympics, or are you so focused on that, and then like it's a big drop off after that? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm not. I'm not intimidated by thinking past the Olympics. I think I actually encourage athletes, especially young athletes, to do that. I think it's something that we don't talk about enough, and I think it kind of my well it's kind of like I, this is gonna be bad to say but I think it kind of hurts you when you're like a little too into like the athlete uh representation of yourself because it's like if anything goes bad there like your whole self is destroyed and it's just not worth that I think you are so much more worthy than what you might see as a result on a piece of paper you know like your capabilities go so much further so when you're confident in that in all of your other you know talents then I think when you choose to dedicate it to just sport, then you're like, I know I can do this. And once I've done and completed and satisfied this bit, I have other things I can do. And that brings me joy and fulfillment. So that's kind of how I see it. So I, I'm excited about my life after sport. I don't know exactly what that'll look like yet. There's no specifics, but I try and network and learn from other people as much as I can. So I know what the options are out there. Right. And it's also not like you're going to stop being an athlete. Yeah, exactly. I'll dabble in something. Like, I'm going to be like 85 <laughs> playing tennis. Like, I will find a way. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, what didn't we get to? Oh, no, no. I think, I feel like I've talked so much, but thank you so much for giving me the space. Oh, you are welcome. It was really fun. Thank you. Good. I, I really enjoyed it. Thank you. A thank you to Lila for expressing interest in knowing more about Brandy. And I hope you liked meeting Brandy as much as I did. Thanks to Jennifer for arranging things. Keep listening. You can also support the podcast by joining our new Patreon at patreon.com slash hearhersports or by telling your sporty pals about us, signing up for our newsletter at hearhersports.com and buying books using our bookshop page, hearhersports.com slash books. As always, find links to things talked about in the episode in our show notes. Stay up to date on upcoming episodes by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Overcast, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. While 44% of athletes are women, only 4% of the media coverage is about women. Hear Her Sports aims to shift the scale while inspiring women to be their best. Keep wearing your mask, keep healthy. Until next time, this is Elizabeth Emery for Hear Her Sports. Bye-bye. Hey there, my name is Michael Laminato and this is Pit Pass F1, a brand new podcast that'll take you closer to the action of the world's most prestigious motorsport. From Monaco to Miami and Australia to Azerbaijan, Pit Pass F1 is on the ground and has you covered. Esteemed F1 journalists Julianne Serasoli and Chris Medland will take you inside the sport every round. They'll keep you up to date with the latest news breaking in Formula One and the most influential views shaping the world of Grand Prix racing. 
Every Friday, we'll be bringing you a track guide and race preview. And Chris and Drew will be in your feed every morning from Saturday through to Monday to keep you up to date on all the day's action on and off the track. So if you want to be in the know on the latest in Formula One, subscribe wherever you get your favourite podcasts and visit us at evergreenpodcasts.com. Pit Pass F1, a brand new show for Evergreen Podcasts. Mm -hmm.